dear brothers and sisters in Christ, week after week, we come here and we worship the way we worship, right? We, uh, we sing hymns that usually are hymns that make you think. We stand up, we sit down, we kneel, but we do it pretty much on command. It's not too much spontaneous stuff going on in here. Um, we read God's word. We think about God's word. I'd like to think that our worship is, is cerebral. We, we think a lot. Someone could come in now from, say, a, another culture or maybe another even Christian church body. Take a look at us and say, those people aren't worshiping at all. Let's look at them. They're a bunch of sticks. They, they don't do anything. They're not showing any emotion. And yeah, we, we are not particularly emotive. All right? Not that that would be wrong. It's just not what is usually done. And when I preach, it's not usually a whole lot of give and take, though sometimes I try to force you to, to do that. And you don't anyway. So uh, it doesn't really help. Um, it is, I talk. You listen. Now, if somebody came in here and judged us and said, we don't worship, is that fair? Is that right? No, it's not. We just worship our way. Now, you could go to some other place right here in town and get a very, very different experience on a Sunday morning. Uh, I once came across, he was a Pentecostal preacher, and he was sharing with the group that In the moment, during a song, he was so in the spirit that he jumped up on the communion rail and ran down the communion rail, which is uh, probably not a good idea for me at my age. You know, if I'm going to nail that communion rail, it's got to be from the altar side. That's the only way it's going to happen. So should it ever happen? That I am so in the spirit during a rousing rendition of, I leave all things to God's direction. You'll know it's the spirit if I can stick both the mount and the dismount. And if I can't, then you're probably going to seek professional help for me come, come Monday. Now, I say these things to you just to make the point that people who are human beings can have vastly different ways. So should we really expect God who is not a human being, who is vastly superior to any of us to do things the way we think? I don't think he should. I'm not suggesting to you that that God is not discernible, that you can't figure out his ways at all. I think he acts very consistently. But there's just things about him that you have to kind of wrap your mind a little bit around to not be offended at sometimes, to not be upset that God didn't do something according to the way you asked for it in your prayers, or God isn't intervening in the world the way you feel he ought to intervene. 
And that's really the guts of what this message today is to tell you is there could come moments where you're going to be really tested in your faith, where you're going to be possibly offended at the fact that God's ways aren't your ways and you don't understand how he is working. Now it goes beyond just him being a different kind of being. It also goes to his capabilities. One of the biggest reasons why God does things differently than you is that he knows so much more than you and me. Think about that. We think we're smart. We're beginning to understand how the universe works, right? But even if you're at the cutting edge of physics, you're looking at stuff that's so weird, you go, I can't explain it. Recently read an article that kind of gave me a headache. Uh, I, I tried to understand it. The article was saying that physicists had seen some particle act as if it had two dimensions of time. And I'm like, what? And they said, this might have something to do with other dimensions. And I was like, how do you know that? I don't get that. But I probably agree heaven is a multidimensional space I don't think it's part of ours Sheol is a multidimensional space I don't think it's part of ours the abyss mentioned in the Bible the same thing I don't think it's part of ours we barely understand what what creation is we just know this space and we don't even know that very well what else Past, present, future. I'm pretty much stuck with the present. You know, I have vague memories of the past. Future, I'm only guessing at. God sees it all, just like just like he sees the people in this room all at the same time. And if things change in the present that would change the future, God can see how that would work. And I do think... That that might be the reason a lot of times what we would consider to be slam dunk prayer requests. Of course God will do this is the reason why he doesn't do it. It's because he knows if he changes the present the way we're asking him to, that doesn't just change the present. That has a cause and effect. And that's the way most things happen under the curse. Cause and effect. It's not God making every little thing happen. That goes out through the future. And looking at it, he decides that's not the best thing to do. And can I discern that? No, I can't. And then there's the little things that are just right hidden inside our minds. I think I know people. I think I know some of you. I am wrong. I think I know my wife. I think I know my kids. I'm not so sure all the time. There's surprises all the time, right? God is not surprised. He sees the internal workings and the thoughts the, the good and the sinful nature of mankind. And it all plays into what he does. 
And then there's his own plans. Some of them have been revealed to us. I don't know that all of them have been revealed to us. Ways that God will force the future to act, not just cause and effect. And God understands the beauty of getting out of here. We don't. This is all we know. So we cling to it. And it's not a wrong thing. We should cling to it because we got some work to do here. But God understands what it's like to not be under the influence of sin and the curse and the kingdom of Satan. We just don't have an appreciation for that. Not yet. So you put all that stuff together and you can see why God might respond very differently than what we would expect him to, than what we would ask him to at a given moment. Now, in our gospel lesson today, there is an example of that. And the way the reading falls doesn't quite grasp for us what's going on in the picture. But the story of the workers in the vineyard is, is framed by a phrase. It's said right before this reading, and it's said at the very end of it. And so, the last will be first... And the first will be last. Kind of a way of saying the way you think it's going to play out is not going to be the way it's going to turn out kind of upside down compared to that. Now, what exactly is he talking about? Well, right before this reading was the story of the rich young ruler. And the Jewish people had a promise from God. It really was for the nation more than it was for the individual, that if they would obey, that God would protect them and prosper them. And it turned out to be a pretty big F. Uh, They did not fulfill their side, so they did not realize a lot of it. But they still took that as a way to kind of read God's favor. So if you were rich, and this is where a lot of modern prosperity theology comes from by misusing the Old Testament. If you are rich, you are rich because obviously God favored you, right? So the rich young ruler was rich, so the disciples thought, surely he's favored. And at the end of that story, what does God say about rich people? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they're like, what? That's flipping over my worldview as to the way God works. But we, I think we understand it better now. And toward the very end, he says, you know, those of you given up fields and family and all that will receive a hundred times more. But the, those who are last will be first. And the first will be last. So what's this story then talking about? Well, you go through it, and the most common interpretation of it is that in heaven and the new earth, it'll be a very, this is a fancy word, but it's the only one I got, egalitarian. It means everybody will be about the same, right? And and while I think that is largely true, you go out and look at the whole context of Scripture, not just the thing right before it, and you see Jesus talking about 
reward and treasure and harvest. And that judgment day itself is a judgment of our deeds, not in regard to salvation so much, because that's already known for us, but in regard to a reward. Now, what kind of reward is it? I don't know. We got such phrases as, well done, good and faithful servant. Certainly it could be honor. That would be nice. You've been faithful with a little. I will put you in charge of much. I don't know what that is, but it sounds okay. First Corinthians 3, the three little pigs passage that I bring up. Go look at it if you don't know what that is. First Corinthians 3, 10 and following. If his work survives, he will surely receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as one passing through the flames. So God's ways sort of sound like our ways there, but you need to understand that for it to survive, it's got to be done with humility that says... I am only an unfaithful servant. I have only done my duty. And as you find in 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't do it with love, what are you? It's a bunch of noise is what you are. So God has his ways, and we do well to try, to try to understand them. And I got just one more from our readings today, the Old Testament lesson. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. That's a little strange because it isn't like God's moving around, you know, and he happens to be in your town on that particular day. But what it is talking about is this. For, for a lot of people, they are so distant and so hardened from God that, that they really cannot go at their leisure at all. God's working on them and... I think there are windows of opportunity where God kind of breaks through. And now, what are you going to do with it? You're going to walk through the door? You're going to slam the door. And he's encouraging you to walk through the door. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thought. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will freely pardon. The most alien way that God has toward us, hopefully you've become very much more accustomed to, and that is this. God forgives. People people have a pretty hit and miss on forgiveness, but God forgives, and he forgives some big stuff. We're okay maybe with some little stuff, but he forgives big stuff. And while hopefully for ourselves, because of God's grace to us, because of the Spirit working on us, we can say, this way I understand. I know that I'm forgiven. I know by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ, And his death on the cross, which is odd in its own right. 
I have eternal life. But then we also need to be okay with, and sometimes this offends, the fact that God can forgive somebody who you would really rather see burn in hell. Now, hopefully you don't have a lot of people like that or anybody like that. But can you imagine that? Somebody has been so offensive, such a sinner, impactful, evil, and yet somehow God gets through to them. Maybe, maybe at the last minute. And that's really what the story of the workers in the vineyard is about. The Jewish people thought, hey, we've been the people of God forever. We should be favored. And God's saying, no, there'll be other people groups. They'll come in, right? Some of them right the last minute. They're just as loved as you are loved. They are forgiven and saved the same way. And same thing with people. Some of us, hopefully, are busting our tails our whole life. We're the smart ones, right? There is a reward. But God can show mercy right up to the last minute, and that's his choice. And that's his prerogative. So is it a bad thing or a good thing that God doesn't listen to you for you to set his agenda? I think it's a good thing. God's agenda is a smart agenda. So when you pray, pray seeking information as much as anything. For you, God already knows all the problems. You don't have to inform him. But you are putting it up there for conversation and he can be influenced by you. That's, we're not saying you can't influence him at all. But he's going to run it through all his wisdom before plopping it out the way you want it to be. And that's okay with me. And hopefully it's okay with you. In Jesus' name, amen.